Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Conversation reparations, conversation reparations. We are back with the Encobra Show, the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America, bringing you information about what's current in the reparations movement, as well as sometimes some historical reflections as well. And so, my name is Brother Jumoke Fetayo. I serve as the Southeast Regional Representative of Encobra and the host of this show. We do twice a month, first and third Mondays of the month. As you know, we have added a new addition to our show. We call it the Reparation News segment. And so because so many things are happening around reparations that we we wanted to include more than what we just bring you on the show, but just give you some information about some other things that are going on as well because the reparations is really, really moving in a lot of ways around the United States and around the world. So on our news line, we have the first community in Massachusetts adopts a plan to pay reparations to descendants of slavery. And this is in Amherst, Massachusetts. And I'm reading from the article, the tragic death of George Floyd ignited calls for racial justice last year, just as the pandemic revealed harsh disparities in healthcare and economic security. Now the discussion of reparations, the concept of acknowledging and compensating African-Americans for slavery is picking up steam. Slavery casts a long shadow over American history. It's a debt many people of color said needs to be settled. One woman outside the Forest Hills MBTA station told Boston 25, quote, how much, I don't know. It should be a nice settlement so that they can feel a little closure they can get acknowledged, close quote. Another woman added, you're not just rewarding people. You're kind of giving them back their respect. That's what this is all about, close quote. Quote again, but the big question is how do you, how do, you do it, one man asked. The answer to that is tough. Federal legislation to start the process of reparations has been stalled for years. 
Public support is lacking, according to the national poll conducted last summer by Reuters, that when asked if federal government should use taxpayer money to pay damages to descendants of enslaved people, only one out of five people said yes. The, the town of Amherst feels differently. It's now the first community in the state to create what they call a reparations stabilization fund. The re- quote, the word reparations has turned into a political football, close quote, said Matthew and- Andrews, one of the two organizers of the effort to get the town to acknowledge the system of racism and establish its fund. Quote, what we will talk, what we will be talking about, especially on the local level, is what is that wrong has been done. Crimes against people have been committed. How do we acknowledge that and make it right? Close quote. So Amherst City Council in a vote of 12 to 1 has passed this reparations resolution to create this fund, and we will be following its progress. All right. The next up on the news is we thought it would be good since the our show today is going to be talking about Emancipation Day and the reparations, rebellions, and grounding that goes on in London, the largest annual reparations gathering. Um, and so it, it's tied in and linked into Emancipation Day. And so I just recently found out that just like here in the United States where um, Juneteenth was passed as a national holiday, Emancipation Day has also been recognized as a national holiday in Canada. And so Canada, um, people of African descent have been having conversations on how do they recognize uh, Emancipation Day in Canada, although there's always been small groups that have been doing that in Canada. And this is, so this article, Why Ngozi Paul says celebrating Emancipation Day is about the future, not the past. Emancipation Day is a celebration of freedom, and Canada is about to celebrate it officially for the first time this year on August 1st. Well, that would have been yesterday. On March 24th, 2021, the House of Commons voted unanimously to officially designate August 1st Emancipation Day, which marks the actual day in 1834 that Slavery Abolition Act came into effect, ending almost 400 years of slavery in the British Empire. On August 1st, Canadians are invited to reflect, educate, engage in the ongoing fight against anti-black racism and discrimination while celebrating the strength and perseverance of black communities in Canada. Canadian actress, director, and producer Ngozi Paul told E-Talk Tyrone Edwards that now Emancipation Day is being recognized in Canada, she wanted to celebrate by asking artists what freedom means to them. That's how she came up with the idea for the new one-hour program Free Up, Emancipation Day, which will air on Sunday, August 1st on CBC. I think the challenge is for everybody to decide what it means to be free, like thinking about civic engagement and what it, do- and what it does mean to be a part of your community. What does it mean to have the liberties that we actually do have? What, who doesn't have those liberties? What are some of the things that we have forgotten, Paul said. This special is being produced by Paul's Emancipation Arts Production Company and Sister Free Up Organization. All right, so those are just some uh, some things that's going on around reparations, uh, Emancipation Day, um, 
is comes under the part of reparations under the United Nations formal reparations known as satisfaction, where we have special days of commemoration and ways of honoring um, those who have who a crime has been committed against. In this case, people of African descent. So again, I'm excited to bring our special guest today. Uh, we're pre-recording this show so that you can um, we can benefit from the the wisdom and activism of, of Sister Esther Stanford Jose, who is the premier activist um, in London and Europe, a Pan-African reparations activist who has been um, on the battlefront. Um, for reparations. She's attended several in COBRA conventions and spoken. Matter of fact, she attended the convention this year. And we're just glad to hear from her directly about what was done yesterday in London and, uh, and the work that they have been doing on reparations. And we're going to play a little clip just to give you a context of what's going on. And then on the other side of that, we'll bring Esther into the conversation. In 2020, the African Emancipation Day Reparations March Committee, in partnership with the Stop the Maangamizi, We Charge Genocide Ecocide Campaign, declared the Pan-African Reparations Rebellion as part of the Pan-African Reparations Rebellion grounding that took place on African Emancipation Day, the 1st of Mosiah, otherwise known as August, in Brixton, London, UK. We did so conscious of our duty to resist and disrupt through forms of non-violent direct action this death world where genocide, ecocide and continued dispossession of our people worldwide by governments, corporations, institutions, families, and all those who still retain the ill-gotten gains of the Ma'angamizi remains the status quo. This 1st of Mosiah 2021, we invite you to join your efforts with ours as we again co-facilitate the Pan-African Reparations Rebellion grounding in Brixton, designed to amplify the resistance and rebuilding efforts of our African masses through deliberating on the theme, defeating the Maangamizi of neocolonialism with African autonomy. All roads must lead to our sacred cause of reparation. As the mothers and fathers of human civilization, we have a duty to not only rebel against the global manifestations of the systemic and institutional imposition of neocolonialism and other forms of structural violence, such as disaster capitalism and the underdevelopment of our African heritage communities and nations, which interferes with our capacity to meet our own basic needs. We must also take action to fulfill the civilizational task of effecting and securing planet repairs through the restoration and institutionalization of Ma'at and Ubuntu across Mother Earth so that we as human beings and all of creation may live. 
We co-facilitate the Pan-African Reparations Rebellion Grounding on the 1st of Mosiah to ground with you in creative ways of shifting the range of ideas we as a people are willing to consider, accept and act upon regarding the how of effecting and securing holistic reparatory justice. How we account for what is owed, what is to be repaired and what reparation solutions you are already working on. As a long memory people, we join our revered ancestors in a process of remembering that we have the capability to stop further assault against us and Mother Earth, as well as theft of our rightful inheritance, both on the continent and throughout the diaspora of Africa. We do so cognizant of our own responsibilities to assert our right to benefit from the resources of Africa in building autonomous grassroots community self-repairs institutions of alternative progression in all spheres of people activity, thereby strengthening our community self-defense against the sophisticated counterinsurgency of eco-fascism. We look forward to grounding with you on the 1st of Mosiah. All right, all right. Um, so much in in that little presentation you, to unpack. We could probably do a whole college course on some of the some of the terms and the concepts in that. But before we get into that and break it down, I just want to bring Sister Esther Stanford Jose in and wanting to, um, I guess, as we often start out with asking the question, you know. What moved you into the reparations movement? How did you get involved into the reparations movement? What were your, who were some of the people that inspired you? Or how did you find your path and journey onto, onto the road of reparations? Welcome, Esther. Thank you. Greetings. Um, it's great to be invited onto this show. So in terms of how did I get involved actively with uh, the movement, uh, which some of us refer to as the International Social Movement for African Reparations. That was around 21 years ago uh, in the lead-up to the preparations for the 2001 World Conference Against Racism that took place in um, Azania, otherwise known as South Africa. And I was, at the time, working for an organization of black lawyers and saw the movement actually in the States, which was, um, yeah, like now that a lot of the news reports are about what happens in the United States of America. And so I decided that I wanted to connect with, because uh, I wasn't, even though I'm based in the UK and there has been a long-standing movement here, it didn't have as much visibility. So I connected with, uh, organizers in the United States, in particular within Incobra. And I was honored to meet Queen Mother Dorothy Benton Lewis, uh, who was a former okay. co-chair of Incobra. Yes, and uh, met her in the UK when, when she was en route to Durban 
and she stopped in the UK to do some okay. engagements. And yeah, the rest is history. Um, got much more involved uh, after that. All right. Very good. Very good. And and um, so what, one of the things that I think that's um, just unique about the presentation that we just heard and I've been having this conversation with other people in the movement is the is the fact that you all have connected this reparations movement with repair of the planet. So um, yeah. I, I, I want to start with that because I think that I don't want to, I think that's very significant and very important. Um, the repair yeah. of the planet Absolutely. simultaneously we're, we're Absolutely. talking about economic justice and reparations. So why don't, why don't you, Let's let's talk about that for a little bit. So, I think that's so important. I mean, sure. I mean, the the notion of repair of the planet and repair of us as African people, wherever we are on the planet, are very much interconnected. And the mm-hmm. coalition that I'm part of co-founded in 2000 uh, called the Pan-African Reparations Coalition in Europe, we've always uh, had this notion of what we refer to as Pan-African Reparations for Global Justice, an inherent within that concept is the notion of what today we refer to as planet repairs, okay? And planet repairs, if I break that down for you, it refers to the need to proceed from a standpoint of pluriversality that highlights the nexus of reparatory, environmental, and cognitive justice in articulating the need for us to repair holistically our relationship with and inseparability from the earth, the environment, and in fact the pluriverse, giving due recognition to our own indigenous African knowledges in contrast with Western-centric enlightenment ideals that separated humanity, that is human beings, people, from nature and thereby justified exploitation of not only people, but nature, our very mother earth, for capital accumulation. That was a large part of what some refer to as the Masa, uh, but others, such as ourselves, we refer to as the Maangamizi, the African Holocaust. Uh, that was a large part of it, because it, the, the whole plantation industrial complex was, was an you know, ecocide. It brought about destruction of the environment and the beginnings of what we're today uh, seeing lots of environmental movements spring up around this climate and ecological crisis that disproportionately impacts African communities worldwide, wherever we live, including in the United States in terms of uh, the impacts of environmental racism and so forth. Um, that, That was very much started Uh, as a result of that dispossession of us from land and thereby living in harmony with land, the earth, nature, um, and actually clearing land to to build plantations, develop that whole plantation industrial complex, monocropping that also occurred. Uh, So there is this intimate connection between genocide, which is what happened, and continues to happen to us as as a people, but also ecocide, the destruction of the very ecosystems that support all life, 
on the planet. Yes, and um, so ecocide, um, so side meaning death, right? Where we had suicide yeah. and, and genocide. And so ecocide, we're talking about the the um, the uh, moving towards trying to, the death of the planet or the death of the environment. Yeah. How how you define yeah. ecocide? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. The, 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 it's basically like the death of the ecosystems that support mm-hmm. life on the planet. So killing mm-hmm. killing of the earth, yeah, through destructive. Um, farming, agricultural practices, um, you know, raising of lands in terms of sometimes burning lands and so forth. A lot of destruction in terms of the beginning of modern day capitalism uh, that was mm-hmm. uh, wrought upon our people. Yeah. And so yeah. as a people, a large part of uh, the climate and ecological crisis uh, has been generated by colonization, all right, and that, that dispossession, removing the original inhabitants from the land, who as mm-hmm. a people, and, and cognitive justice is really important here, because all indigenous peoples have a relationship with the earth. It's very much part of the cosmology, the value system, even when we took from the earth or if people were involved in hunting or what have you, there had to be special prayers of offering when we took from Mother Nature. And there had Mm -hmm. to be some kind of atonement in terms of replenishment. So a lot of that was destroyed or severely um, interrupted uh, with the Ma'angamizi or what some people refer to as the Ma'afa. Uh, in terms of the historical process of uh, enslavement and all that that entailed. But the Ma'angamizi really also speaks to a continuum. Yes. Um, thank you for continuing to unpack. And like I said, there's so much we yeah, could unpack yeah. even and, in that presentation you, that you put together. And because I don't know if people really realize the the choice of words was very specific, you know, when you talk about eco-fascism, yeah. even first of Mosiah, when you talk about Ma'angamizi, Ma right. every one of those words right. were specifically chosen and, right. and researched, and, and there's a reason why they were used as opposed to other words. And like I said, I don't want to get into that too much more. We, we may come back and revisit that. But I wanted to, yeah. let's, let's I, talk a little bit more. Let's go ahead and talk about the uh, <clears throat> event that happened on yesterday the, the groundings, the rebellion, and uh, maybe give people a little background, I guess, you know, because you've all been doing this for some years, so let's maybe go back yeah. and, and talk about how so, it has evolved <clears throat> into what it is today. Yeah. So what what we do, what we did yesterday in terms of the Pan-African Reparations Rebellion Groundings started off uh, in its modern-day phase in 2014, and that was a reparations march. And this reparations march took place on the 1st of what many people refer to today as uh, August, but we have redefined as Mosiah. And as you said, very deliberately so, because part of the repair is not only the cognitive repairs, but the linguistic repairs. So August, we know, uh, in terms of a Roman... You know, a depiction of of the month in terms of a Roman god, um, 
uh, and we say we're going to commemorate that month of uh, what other people refer to as August by honouring the Honourable Marcus Mosiah Garvey. Because if we're about the repair, then it's also about the language that we speak, the terms that we use. Because in doing so, we're also creating and re-envisioning an alternative reality for our people. And in this um, current dispensation, it's really, really important to validate some of our leaders who have stood for repair. And the, the most important repair for, for me as a Pan-Africanist, is um, what uh, Nkobe refers to in terms of one of the five injury areas, repairs to the notion of nationhood and peoplehood, because that was Mm -hmm. very much impacted by the Ma'angamizi and continues to impact us. So what makes you a so-called African-American, if that's how you choose to define, or me, um, an African-British person, or black British, you know, which is what other people may choose to define me as what what makes us have these identities that are largely based on european coloniality and uh domination as a result of colonization carving up the globe um assigning particular names to territories that violated indigeneity yes african indigeneity and other uh, people's indigeneity so a big part of that repair in terms of the UN framework, restitution, is about restitution of our identity, our indigeneity as African people, our connection to a land base, a landmass. And uh, in the UK, our movement is very Pan-Africanist. And so for us, it's not about make our lives better or matter in Europe, okay, where we are dispossessed as a people, Mm -hmm. it is about a return of our homeland, our right to belong, our right to exercise our um, global citizenship, which we articulate as the right to Africa, because many of us uh, lack an African citizenship. That is where we came from. I know there are some Mm -hmm. people who deny that many of our people came directly from Africa, especially in the United States. But I can assure you, in the UK, <laughs> the dominant thinking is that we came from Africa. And we're not ashamed mm-hmm. of that, okay? But we recognize that the Africa that is there today is an Africa that is in disrepair and needs repair. Uh, and so the process that we are engaged in is directly connected to the self repairs collective self-repairs processes of specific indigenous African heritage communities who themselves are resisting those borders and this notion that, well, I'm a Nigerian, I'm a Ghanaian, I'm a Kenyan, I'm a this, I'm a that. Because a lot of those uh, current-day country formations actually disregarded, denied, and, uh, you know, the indigenous uh, borders in fact, I won't even use the term borders because we didn't have them like that. But indigenous That's ethnicities, right. nationalities that we had on the mm-hmm. continent and people on the ground are resisting them. They organize transnationally across those borders. They defy them. And, and many of the people uh, in the, on the continent are actually also persecuted 
because they are uh, asserting their right to their own nationhood that is not based on the borders that were instituted at the 1884-1885 uh, Berlin um, Conference. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, at this time, we're going to take a, a brief break. We've been listening to the uh, Conversation Reparations hosted by Black Talk Radio Network. And, yeah, so coming back now, let's uh, – I guess you kind of gave more of the philosophical foundation. And, again, like I said, so many concepts and things to unpack in, in, in your presentation. Mm -hmm. Let's look at the um, – what actually happened on uh, yesterday and what, you know, how now that we've, now that sure. it's, it's so, evolved from a reparations march to groundings yeah. and rebellion and so, all of that, what is, what is, where, where <laughs> have, where have we thing. grown to? Yeah. So I what mentioned the goals and objectives about of yesterday. The, I'm sorry. Sure. So I mentioned about, about the march in 2014 uh, that mm -hmm. was organized by a group of uh, led by a, a coalition called the Rastafari Movement UK, supported by many other organizations, including several that I was involved in or have been involved in. But from 2015, we formed um, the African Emancipation Day Reparations March Committee and also developed a complementary campaign known as the Stop the Maangamizi We Charge Genocide Ecocide Campaign, actually based on the original 1951 uh, We Charge Genocide Campaign of the Civil Rights Congress of the United States of America. And what we've done is updated that campaign, which was taken on by the National Black United Front there in America. We had a UK Black United Front that was actually initiated by the UK um, branch of the Nation of Islam. And I was involved with that, um, was its Secretary General in the early 2000s. And we took the petition into that. And every um, coalition structure we'd have ever since we've taken the We Charge Genocide. But in 2015, we added ecocide to it as part of the harm. Anyway, in between 2015 and 2019, we organized the march as the African Emancipation Day Reparations March Committee in partnership with the Stop the Maangamizi campaign. And uh, last year, we decided that we had to up, it, uh, up the level a bit because the march was fine in terms of a commemorative event every year, but it wasn't achieving our objectives in terms of uh, advocating for and lobbying for uh, and all the establishment of what is called the All-Party Parliamentary Commission of Inquiry for Truth and Repatriate Justice. And it's not, it's not the same as what you're pushing for in terms of a commission to study um, uh, reparations proposals in the US, uh, but it's based on a, a process that's known as administrative reparations. And when we think about it, the way that reparations are affected and secured happen in, in very uh, few ways. So there can be outright taking of reparations, yeah, in the sense of taking back our freedom and our sovereignty. So I'll say Haitian Revolution, and people should get what I mean. Um, mm -hmm. uh, then, you know, that's about revolution, right? Uh, but in the diaspora,
Edinburgh is not to say that revolution is not possible, but a lot of our people are not necessarily equipped to do that. And so one of the main mechanisms outside of um, revolution is legal processes through various court structures and tribunals and taking cases, etc. And the other one is some type of uh, commission of inquiry, um, truth commission or something like that. That's how most people who have experienced European settler colonialism, various forms of enslavement, colonization, genocide, dispossession, that's how most of the time their own settlements come about in a negotiated way. And so that's what we've been advocating for as a mechanism that we believe is the most effective way of leading a society through a process of um, transitioning in terms of an agenda of reparatory justice. Because you can do it in a way that pulls people to part and literally, I mean, even though there has been a race war declared on us for centuries, uh, we, we're also looking about how do we transition to a post-reparations world order in the most peaceful way possible, yes? And, mm-hmm. and you know, we do advocate that peaceful, non-violent direct action should be tried. And, of course, there are other aspects that have to be done as well, including liberation struggle. And there's been armed liberation struggle as part of many of our freedom movements all around the world. Um, so that's what we decided to do last year. We needed to up the tempo and engage, declare a reparations rebellion. And that is because we are not being heard in our demand for a peaceful process of hearing our people out. See, our people's case is hundreds of years in the making, and we have been denied a right to be heard. Everybody's speaking for us. Every expert, so-called, is coming out with their papers, and this is what reparations is, and this is what it should be, and this is who should do what. But there is a reluctance to hear from people on the ground. And for us, we say the grassroots communities, those who are most impacted, not our economic and political elites or even academic or legal elites. It's got to be about empowering the people, the people on the ground. And that's why we made the Declaration of Reparations Rebellion. That was about sending a message to our people that we're not going to get what we want, however people understand what reparations mean, if we're just polite, we follow the rules, we do polite conferences, we lobby at the UN, we do all these things in basically a system that has been created by global Europe, okay, including Euro-Americans. Yeah? So we have to mm-hmm. break the rules, we have to, um, you know, break laws in the way that happened in the civil rights movement and every other freedom struggle of our people. We have to not comply with the status quo, and we have to engage in a rebellion. Because how can we coexist in a world that is built on black death and pain and genocide? How can we coexist in a world like that, where we cannot breathe, literally? You know, you're walking down the street, brothers, sisters getting shot in their homes, walking while black, talking while black, driving while black. What kind of world is this that is so pathological 
So we're saying to our people, we are the ones, we are the global majority. The people that are seeking to rule over us are the minority. So they're ruling over us in many different ways, spiritually, psychologically, economically, politically, culturally, in every single way. And unless we stop, you know, feeding into the status quo as it is, then nothing will change. So it's about preparing our people for rebellion. And that rebellion, we're not talking about rioting and all of that. What we're saying is the best form of rebellion is to build your own. Build an alternative world. Build an alternative path of economic progression. Build an alternative sense of what it means to be a community, to be a family, to be a nation. Let us stop following the ways of Europe in terms of our recreations of what the post-reparations world order will be. That is the repair. That is the rebellion. And that is why in the video message uh, that was played, we speak about uh, restoring Ma'at and Ubuntu on this planet because we've got a world that's in anarchy. Yeah? They're despoiling the earth, genocide upon genocide, not just upon us. Uh, and then now... Those same people are talking about they're going to go and colonize Mars. So we have to put a stop to this. Now, we are the, we are the oldest people. We're ancient, the ancient of days, the mothers and fathers of human civilization. And it's about time that we got our house in order and we restore our governance on this planet and ensure that yes, we set in motion and catalyze the repair processes of all other members of the human family, because no nation is an island, and we can't have even be articulating our right to belong and to benefit from the resources of our motherland, and that motherland is being colonized, in fact, recolonized right now, and we don't have the military capacity to even take on our oppressors because they're training all our armies and so forth and providing equipment, so this is where it's at. This is about global um, re-establishment of our power. Yeah? This is a reparations ultimately is about affecting and securing it by our own people's power. Yeah? Not making compromised settlements on the basis of, well, we've just got to try and do the best we can in a world that's been created by our oppressors who, depending on which way you look at it, some people would say are our children. That's right. All right. Um, so you, you mentioned civil disobedience and taking it up a notch. Could you share what, what happened in terms of that yesterday? So, yes, very briefly. So normally what happens on that day up until 2019 we have to acquire licensing we have to pay to use the 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 this area of the street in in brixton we used to do a march to the british houses of parliament you have to pay for licenses to even speak you have to get a sound license um you, you just have to comply with so many rules and bylaws and part of our declaration of rebellion was to say to the local authority, the local council, to say to the police, no, we are not complying. We're going to take space on this day. It's just one day where our people need to send a clear message that we are not going to comply with your system. 
and your rules because we shouldn't have to be paying for that. We're exercising our freedom of speech. Uh, we, you know, this is essential for us because uh, reparations is a matter of life and death. So that was part of the rebellion, not complying, but there was a consequence to that. What it meant was that the police were out in force and they did notify us that because we didn't have the particular permission and licensing to be on the street in terms of exercising our democratic rights to protest, that if we went into the road, which is what we said we would do, we were going to block a particular part of Brixton symbolically. We're saying we're locking it down for the day and we're going to actually do something different on that day. Uh, the area where we protest, Bl Brixton's historical black uh, site of resistance that's been heavily gentrified now. Uh, but that particular mm. area is one of the areas where environmental racism is very prevalent. The air pollution quality, and it's our young people who are suffering the most with all kinds of respiratory conditions. So we're saying by locking down traffic, we're actually helping to purify the environment. And we would, uh, you know, institute what's called guerrilla gardening. So guerrilla gardening is where you occupy space and you grow things, you plant things, where you don't have a legal right to do so. So we're going to beautify and make a garden, literally what the earth will look like post-repair. That is our vision of a repaired world, uh, replicating the continents of the planet and showing solidarity from various communities who are not of African heritage but who are supporting us and who defer to our leadership as mothers and fathers of human civilization. That's what we told them we would do. We wasn't secret about it. We made it very clear to the press, to everybody, this is our intention. And we did uh, block the roads, the junctions, the key arteries, uh, in violation of the police, and they had about 50 police fans out, hundreds of police officers ready to pounce on us and arrest us for public disorder, which is what the uh, criminal offence would be if you are blocking the road, blocking traffic. Um, and we managed to just take that space, you may make sure our activities happened in the road, and our young people were part of it, and for them, it was about saying we're reclaiming space because we're being shut out. We're losing literally all our community buildings, all of these institutions that our people have developed in Britain. We are losing. And our young people have no space. They're being, um, you know, just put into concrete jungles. And that in itself breeds a whole range of social problems and intra-community violence, including an escalation of gun and knife crime and so forth. So that's what we did yesterday. We did um, engage in that act of civil disobedience and we told the police when we would stop uh, and actually what happened was they retreated. They retreated because they could see that we were very serious um, and, uh, you know, I was one of the people that led the charge to go out into the road um, and telling my people they're not going to be able to arrest all of us because that's the thing. They make us so docile and compliant with the rules as they are that we're afraid. To, we're afraid. We're afraid to break the rules. We're afraid to lose our jobs. We're afraid to lose our homes and this, that and the other. 
And if we're going to truly be free, we've got to be prepared to lose it all in order to regain the world that has been taken from us. I say that was well said. Um, wow. Yes. Thank you for for, for sharing for sharing that. Um, and uh, maybe at a later date, you know, we we can even come back and and look at that some more. Um, I um I just wanted to again so many different terms that you use. I know people may or may not be familiar with. Um, but I think it's important that people do become more, more familiar with. So I know you mentioned um, so two things that come to my mind. One was grounding, which I'm assuming is coming from um, uh, Walter Rodney's um, teachings and and, 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 and pedagogy, That's and right. then um, the Ma'afa and Mangamizi, which you've used several times. People may 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 not be familiar with either one of those, but probably definitely not familiar with Mangamizi. So if you could just um, share, you know, sure. why you so, all choose to use those concepts. Mm-hmm. So the notion of groundings, let's start with that. Groundings, as, sure. as you're right, they, after the um, pedagogy of uh, Dr., the late uh, Dr. Walter Rodney, um, a scholar, activist, historian, revolutionary, uh, intellectual, and uh, he popularized this notion of groundings with my brothers, which was really about the role of uh, knowledge creators in struggling to build a new society that was not based on forms of oppression and exploitation. But in the groundings methodology, it's about grounding with the people, sitting down and have reasoning with the grassroots, the ones who are the most excluded and alienated in a society that is uh, based on preserving the privileges of elitism, of Eurocentricity, and so forth. And he really championed the notion that the black intellectual must actually be on the side of the masses and that they must, if they are engaged in the university, it is about recognizing the communiversity, yeah? Recognizing that the people who are also knowers are those who have most experienced um, the excesses of a social order. And so groundings are a form of um, participatory democratic uh, engagement, meetings, dialogue, discussion, debate and analysis and reasoning with our people so that we can get to a point of truth, you know, synthesis of our various strategies and tactics, are our different ideas, that, that kind of meshing together that we need to do in order to work out where are we at, but most importantly, where are we going and how do we get there? And that's why we advocate the groundings, because we want to create a process that involves our people where they directly participate. We don't want to replicate the animal farm structure where we just want to be the ones who are quote-unquote leading everybody and misleading everybody at the same time. This everybody, reparations is for all of us. And everybody who recognizes their own heritage and ancestry, who knows that they are connected to this, it's not just about us in the here and now. So the groundings are with our ancestors, with ourselves and posterity, Mm, that cycle. 
So our ancestors are part of the groundings in the sense that we invoke them, the libations that we, we pour at the beginning of our activities, the fact that we call on their names, we remember the past that they laid for us, we remember their sacrifices, we, we remember where they were betrayed and where we ourselves have betrayed their legacy. And we have not done what some of our best revolutionaries and freedom fighters, I mean, in the U.S. in particular, whole heaps still locked up, incarcerated. You know, how, how much debt we still owe those people ourselves in terms of the repairs within our community and then our posterity. So that's really taking care of that indigenous uh, notion of the seven generations principle, that whatever we do today, and let's think about that very specifically in the context of repair, the repair agenda. Let us examine what impact the settlement, the program, the proposals, the policies that we are advocating, what impact will they have seven generations for today, to, from today? That is essential, a big part of us going back and reclaiming our original mind, okay, that was not taught to think in such short-termist notions, but just like the Chinese, thinking in terms of dynasties and knowing that we may sow the seeds today that we may not personally reap from, but future generations will, will reap from them. And that is really um, what the groundings are about. Um, Ma'afa, uh, Kiswahili term that has been popularized by Mama uh, Professor Marimba Ani, um, people will hopefully be familiar. If you're not familiar, Google the book Yurugu. But she wrote, a, um, it, it was actually advocated book before Yurugu, but that's one of her most well-known books. And um, the term actually literally means the great disaster, but it has been used to describe that period of genocide, war crimes, crimes against humanity, enslavement of various and various types of unfreedom that our people experienced into, at the hands of Europeans in particular uh, from the early 1400s. Now, the term Ma'angamizi, also a Kiswahili term, speaks to an intentionality of the destruction of a people. So although the term Ma'afa is more popular, largely because of the work of uh, uh, Professor Marimba Ani, if we're going to be about the repair, that, as I mentioned, linguistic repairs, and for native Kiswahili speakers, if you go into that language, the term ma'afa does not convey an intentionality of destruction, an attempt to destroy a people, a genocide, okay, that ma'angamizi does. And that's why some of us prefer to use that term uh, and the fact that Ma'angamizi itself speaks to a continuum. Often when people use the term Ma'afa, they're speaking about historic uh, chattel enslavement uh, that many people would say ended, let's say, late 1800s for most people, uh, but still continues to this day, we know. There are still people, African people, you know, in bondage, chattel enslavement in certain parts of the planet. Uh, but... Uh, the term Angamizi speaks to that continuum of different types of enslavement, including colonialism, 
and modern day neo-colonialism. And so when we say in the Stop the Anger Music campaign, it is a strong message to say that generations of today have to end that global system of domination uh, that some people call white supremacy racism. Others talk about neoliberal globalization. Others will talk about neo-colonialism. We have to end that because it is a system combined that actually is replicating death, physical death, social death, and civil death for our people. Hope I've explained those terms. <laughs> yes, very good. I was also I was sitting here thinking. Um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I was thinking about how another term that um, um, Mama Marimba Ani had, Dr. Mama Ani introduced. That's also that's made that's also not so well known as Ayuresa. And again, you know, it goes back to what you were saying about how Mama Marimba feels that it's important to you know look at language and and how we reconstruct our own reality, reimagine our own reality and um using Kujichagali and self determination. And Ayuresa is a term that she introduced meaning um uh healing and and, and actually I looked it up and more also refers to like therapy and healing. But that was a term that mm-hmm. she introduced also as opposed to what some people say internal reparations or the term I, I prefer, mm-hmm. which is self repair, if or I erase yeah. And I think you all kind of follow that 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 line as well. As um, yeah, we we take that from the Chimwezu, Professor Chimwezu, Chimwezu. a Nigerian mm-hmm. um, public intellectual, mm-hmm. who in 1993 mm-hmm. wrote a paper, "Reparations in a New Global Order." And mm-hmm. he um, defined reparations as being about repairs and pointed mm-hmm. out that um, money was only 1% of what reparation was about. So he was not saying mm-hmm. compensation isn't part of it, but it's 1%. And he really emphasized the self-repair and mm-hmm. what we need to do, because there's something that's happened to our psyche, our spirit, mm-hmm. our sense of agency, and uh, the ability mm-hmm. to re-envision and rebuild and reconstruct the world. Yes. So, you know, I was sitting here thinking, I, I, I've been having some conversations with with uh, a comrade, and we were talking about the term um, thought leaders, or, or specifically reparations thought leaders. And, and I was sitting here thinking about, you know, you, you being inspired by what happened, by your interaction with reparations leaders, particularly in the United States, even though there have been, you know, as you said, reparations movements and 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 leaders in um, England, but and I was thinking how I'm inspired. I think in Cobra and other activists are inspired by you all being like reparations. I'm gonna say reparations thought leaders and what you all have contributed to uh, the elevation of the reparations movement, um, actually and conceptually, and so. I just wanted to acknowledge that, and you know, I think you know we 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 could benefit from looking at some of the things that you all are doing and some of the um, ideas yeah. and concepts that you all are putting forward to improve what we're doing here in in the United States. 
And then we're kind of coming to a close. So I just want to give you the opportunity just to share what you think that was important that you may have left out or just share what you would like to share um, as, as we begin to um, br bring, bring this show to yeah, a close. Guess, it's been a I very powerful and dynamic. That... And I, I thank you for, you know, so many times we have you on a panel, and which means you're only answering a question and you're only answering it and you're trying to be brief. So I'm really glad we had this time to really uh, stretch out and, and allow you to really give a quality presentation on, on the work that's yeah. being done in, in London and um, the Pan-African Reparations Movement. Yeah, sure. I guess what I wanted to highlight about what we did yesterday, the Pan-African Reparations Rebellion Groundings, is that its overall purpose. So a lot of the time when our people, and I use the term African because I self-define as African, uh, I there recognize it's not a term that everyone embraces, but uh, when I hear our people of whatever description uh, talk about and advocate, the focus is a lot on compensation. Now, although you, uh, international law, as currently articulated, recognizes that compensation is only one aspect of the five principles of reparation. The key aspect that I think we need to be focusing on equally as um, vociferously, vociferously sorry, is guarantees of non-repetition. So you know Jewish mm -hmm. people with the Jewish Holocaust and they say never again. And what that means is never again will they experience a Holocaust. And they are very serious about it. And one of the ways mm -hmm. that they can guarantee that is because they have developed a powerful state, military state that is supported by many other nations, including the United States of America, that protects their rights. Now, we as people of African heritage and ancestry do not have that type of protection at all, which is why multinational corporations and even people who sit in the British Houses of Parliament still control Africa's key commodities, mineral and energy resources. So Africa is the most looted, most impoverished planet on the earth, yet it feeds the world. Literally, mm -hmm. even the yeah. lifestyle in, in a big part of the campaign you have there in the U.S. is about closing the black white wealth gap. OK, but you need to look at the U.S. just like Britain in the context of imperialism and what it mm -hmm. takes in order for the white people in the U.S. to enjoy a particular standard of affluence that you, by way of repair, want to catch up with. Because a lot of that extractivism that is happening from Africa and other parts of the global south are how you come to have the United States being what it is. And that is why, in terms of the environmental dimensions, the planet repairs dimensions to this, there is the notion that the world cannot sustain, um, you know, two or three, uh, it would take two or three planets to sustain the lifestyle of the average American. Euro-American. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about here. 
So what are we comparing ourselves to? And if we as African people lack a global perspective and a geopolitical perspective to know that one advancement for us here in one part of the globe might very well mean the destruction of an, another member, a set of our families. That's the nature of how these things work. Yeah? So I wanted yeah. to emphasize that in terms of what we're doing in the UK because we think global, we act local in terms of the UK. And it's about showcasing the work that our communities are doing by way of self-repairs to demonstrate that the achievement of what we refer to as the strategic planet repairs goal of Pan-African Reparations for Global Justice efforts is possible. And for us, what does that look like? A repaired Africa as a homeland. It doesn't mean everyone's going to physically go and rematriate to Africa, as we say, not repatriate, because we recognize we have a motherland, not a fatherland. Um, and the repatriation also includes that spiritual, cultural preparation that we do for returning home so that we don't return home literally um, black skins, but literally white ideas and mindset and everything, mm -hmm. European mm -hmm. mindset um, that is going to be harmful to our people. But Ma'atu Buntu Man is the envisioned uh, Pan-African Union of co Communities, which is a global, super powerful participatory democratic or communocratic as I prefer to say anti-imperialist polity of Ma'at which practices Ubuntu in relation to her people and all of humanity and the cosmos the virtues of Ma'at being truth, righteousness, harmony, balance reciprocity, justice and order and Ubuntu um, coming from the Zulu phrase um, you know, which is umuntu, ugumuntu, ngubantu, which literally means that we are people through other people. So we exercise our African personality through the way that we are able to show all those principles of ma'at in relation to each other, but other members of the human family, because we have to get our planet back again. We have a world to reclaim, and that is for us the goal that we're working on. And that Ma'atubuntu man is an Africa without borders that, that removes those mm -hmm. borders of European coloniality as our people mm -hmm. transcend those borders today anyway. But it's also premised on a, a world, a multipolar, pluriversal world of global justice that we refer to as Ubuntu Dunia which is then other communities have experienced enslavement and colonization and all of that engaged in their own self-repaired processes, where we don't get the notion that one nation is going to have nuclear weapons and be just like what was going on with Trump, it's like, well, I'm going to push the my button. You know, what kind of a world is that? Is that the kind of world that we want to live in, where we literally develop the, the technology to destroy all life? That is so anti-human, so anti-people, so anti-African. And a big part of what happened to us was about dehumanization. And a large mm. part of that repair, that restitution, is to rediscover our own African humanity, yeah? Which is about how we live, how we choose to interface with the world the kind of value systems that we institute 
the kind of value that we place on life, yeah, that's not based on extractivism and rape and pillage of the mineral uh, resources. Uh, it's based on the notion of reciprocity, that our Mother Earth actually is there to sustain all life, but not there to sustain any one people's greed or any one individual's greed at the expense of the whole. So we're fundamentally out of balance. And because we are co-creators ourselves, if we don't get back right in that balance, there's no real future for this planet. Uh, Well said. That was powerful. You know, I was as we wrap up. I was thinking that's basic. That's we ending in the same note that we began. We began the conversation talking about planetary repairs and reparatory justice and how they're intertwined and interlinked. And our vision um, for reparations is, is all connected. Or and and so and that's where we we coming back to that same conversation. So I, I that's a very beautiful note to end on. Um, I did want to talk to you maybe at another point a little bit more specifically about the grounding because one of the things I think that we're challenged and the reparations movement in general is challenged with is beginning to develop what will reparations look like very specifically and and how do we come up with processes to even um, have engage our grassroots people, not just leaders, but grassroots people into developing that. So I would, um, you know, know, like to know if you all how – far along you are, are in terms of developing that or you you have a specific process and do you, are you videotaping those sessions or coming up with a document in terms of, you know, coming out of the grounding. But, um, yes. yes, definitely. Okay. We can talk about that, but very quickly I can say one of the things we did was people's assemblies, which mm-hmm. are very good participatory democratic ways of hearing all voices. Uh, and developing mm-hmm. consensus and agreements on key issues. And we had a grounding for our communities, and we had a grounding for allies. What is the role of mm-hmm. allies in supporting our struggle um, for holistic uh, repar- reparations uh, as well? Mm-hmm. And part of the groundings also included uh, a session of what we refer to as the Provisional People's Tribunal, where we put... Uh, the UK Home Office Minister Priti Patel and the UK government on trial for crimes of uh, neo-colonialism, including genocide and ecocide and war crimes and apartheid and torture and all kinds of things. Getting our people to really take that governance and, and see themselves as lawmakers, not just people who are victims of law, the misrule of law or, or lawfare, as I prefer to say the use of law for mm-hmm. warfare purposes, and, and and you and and also on that in that conversation, you are what's called a barrister, which right as an equivalent to a lawyer here in the United States. Is your um, well, I trained as a barrister like uh, quite a while ago, <laughs> um, non-practicing, yeah. but my profession is a jurist consult, which is a specialist lawyer in jurisprudence, sorry, the science and the philosophy of law. So I'm very much interested in the underpinnings of a justice system. What are the philosophical, what is the philosophical basis of a justice system? Is it based on retribution? Is it based on restoring ma'at? Is it based on restoring, you know, uh, balance in terms of us Mm -hmm. and, and relationships? 
where relationships have been broken or violated, uh, codes and principles have been violated. Um, and there is a role for very punitive forms of, of so-called justice, but that is not going to actually make us, I believe, uh, reach our highest potential as, as human beings mm -hmm. and as African human beings. That's it. So you, you've been listening to Conversation Reparations, Conversation Reparations, Conversation Reparations. been listening to the Reparations thought leader, Esther Stanford Jose, and we are, um, as a part of Conversation Reparations, Encobra, the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America. You can find out more about Encobra at our website, encobraonline.org, encobraonline.org. You can reach me directly if you have feedback on this show or ideas for shows. You can reach me directly at reparationsj, that's reparations, the letter j, at gmail.com. And thank you for participating, and I'm sure you were very impacted by this show on Conversation Reparations. No, we won't renounce the debt. America bounced the check. And no, it ain't all about the dough. 